0: Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Untraditionally Traditional, a millennial homemaker podcast. This episode is a special bonus episode because we happen to have an extra Monday this month. With these extra Mondays, I have decided to set up interviews with the people who inspire me to be a better cook, creator, and gardener. And one of those special people is Katie Batazo, founder of Front Yard Fresh. Welcome to the podcast, Katie. Thank you so much for having me, Brittany. It's awesome to be here. Absolutely. Um, so for everyone, I know you've probably heard me mention Front Yard Fresh and Katie. Before on the podcast, I was able to take a class that Katie hosted through um, Edwards Greenhouse here in Boise, Idaho. But for those of you that don't know Katie, why don't you tell listeners a little bit about yourself and what your business Front Yard Fresh does? Front Yard Fresh is a garden coach in
1: business and design business that helps homeowners turn unused space that they have, whether it be on a patio, a side yard, any part of their yard into a kitchen garden space, a place where they can grow food and flowers, a place of joy and a place where they can start to become just a little more self-sufficient.
0: I love that. Yeah, it's so nice when you are able to take a space that you wouldn't otherwise be using and use it to create a garden. And I've been able to follow some of the spaces that you've worked on. And, and even just walking around Boise, I see people use their front yards, which might not be a space that, you know, otherwise we use that often. Or a side yard. Or for us, I was uh, explaining to listeners that we've got this weird um When we moved into our house last June, there was this weird concrete section um, along our fence that was uneven and an eyesore. So we ended up putting our planner boxes on top of it and just making it more aesthetically pleasing, but we also didn't have to give up any yard square footage, which was great. (laughs) Yeah, that's perfect. That's exactly what I try to help people do
1: is just to use what they have and get creative with the space
0: so that they can just grow something a little extra. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So a lot of listeners, myself included, are newer gardeners. What advice do you have for a new gardener or someone that is planning uh, for a new garden space or uh, their first garden? I love this question
1: because it gets me really excited. The, The new gardeners are my favorite because I just want to say, welcome. This is an amazing journey and it's messy and it's supposed to be that way. My advice to new gardeners would be to have the mindset of curiosity and observation versus um, how to be the most efficient, most productive, the have the have it down on how to be a gardener before you are a gardener. I just want you to start because once you become a gardener and you um, hop on the journey of gardening, the best part is the journey and getting to see things bloom and blossom. And I just don't want new gardeners to miss out on that. And it's also about a lot of failures. Um, it's, a, it's about seeing things fail and not seeing things come into fruition, but not giving up and really just observing what happens without judgment on yourself. Um, and that's my biggest advice to new gardeners is um, actually as a garden coach, yes, I have lots of hacks and ways to help people be more successful, but uh, I mostly provide encouragement through the failures too, because it's bound to happen to every gardener, no matter what your skill level is. And I just kind of want you to relish in that journey as a new gardener.
0: Yeah, absolutely, I had, um, I'm sure it's a, a common quote, but I picked it up along the way where it's, you know, the, the most successful gardeners have killed the most plants. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, exactly. just in the little bit of experience um, I've had, I i I've can t- attest that that is very true. <laughs> It's exactly
1: right. I would say expert gardeners, we've taken bigger risks. So expert gardeners have taken the biggest risks and we've failed big time in order to get to that point where we're growing unique things and pushing the boundaries. So it's, it's definitely a part of it. And I also love the, co- the quote, um, there are no mistakes in gardening, only experiments. That's actually really the, the essence
0: of what I want new gardeners to take away, especially their first year. Yeah, I love that. Um so Speaking of tools and resources, I feel like when I was getting into gardening, and even now, there's a lot out there on Instagram and Pinterest and the internet, and it can be hard to know what's legit and what isn't. Mm -hmm. Or, I mean, even for your area, you know, something that is applicable in Florida or in the Southeast may be totally accurate for that area, but for us here in the Northwest, it's not. Um... So, as the expert, what are you know some resources that you think gardeners should take advantage of, or, or how to go about you know self-educating in a way that um, would provide you know legitimate resources versus um, I don't want to say like gardening clickbait, but you know something that looks pretty that might not be factual. Right, that's a really good question. And
1: what I love about kitchen gardening, the kind of gardening that I. Um, help people in, which is the edible uh, gardening v- fruits and uh, vegetables and flowers, is that there are a lot of great books that give you the basics about kitchen gardening that really do apply to most gardens. But then if you're going to get into unique zones, you know, your Master Gardener Association, especially in every unique area is a huge resource. Now you may not be able to become a master gardener or take the classes, But oftentimes master gardeners will teach free classes at the local libraries, at the nursery, and they have specific training to our area that give you our local education. So I do tell people to take advantage of the master gardener program through the extension agencies. Here it's the University of Idaho Extension Agency and we have the Ada County Extension and we also have the Canyon County Extension. They do extensive amounts of classes, free classes to the public because those are the volunteer hours for the master gardeners to understand their material and then to teach it to the community. It's important for them to get that word out about our area. So utilize that and look for classes at the local library and nursery um, when you can.
0: Yeah, I've been um, surprised by that just as, you know, I've been trying to learn more and more about gardening, how many free classes there are, are out there through the extension office, but then also the various nurseries and greenhouses um, they put on classes too. That's where, you know, I came across Katie and I think you, you've done six or you're going to do eight this year. There's like a number of them you've done. Yeah. I I'm, Yes. As a garden coach, I do
1: like to do free classes at Edwards Greenhouse. And that's just a way for me to get simple and quick information to gardeners I couldn't otherwise get to one-on-one and because I'm a a one-man show currently so I can't get to all the gardeners but I'm really passionate about everyone getting good information and resources so that they're more comfortable in their garden and yes I do free classes at Edwards. I have a squash bug class coming up, just going to be amazing. I'm so excited about this one. So we're going to talk all about um, how to deal with squash bugs in your squash patch at your home. Um, but I've done a variety of different free classes based on cool season gardening, planting plans, herb gardens. And then um, in June, my last class for now is going to be a full getting ready for a fall succession garden just being able to time when to start seeds for a fall garden and when to get them in the ground so it's going to be fun
0: yeah i was just uh perusing your site earlier today and i saw that one and i won't lie i like almost panicked and cried a little bit when i was like wait june we're gonna start planning for fall in june i feel like we haven't (laughs) even got there i know (laughs) i know
1: it's actually really difficult um i also get really burnt out by the by that time for thinking about more gardening because i've just worked so hard to get my summer garden in place but this year i'm finally ready to take on the fall gardening i've done it in my own garden but i'm ready to help other people just wrap their head around it so that they at least have an idea of the actual timeline for a fall garden and maybe it's not this year they dive in, but next year um, or subsequent years, they feel more comfortable about, oh, maybe I'll add a little more succession into, you know, instead of doing cabbage in the spring, I'm going to focus on doing cabbage for the fall and spread out my priorities over the year. It's, it's, it's kind of a fun way to think of the home garden
0: that way. Yeah, and there's so much effort um you know as i'm learning to have the garden. it's nice to know that at least for those of us that live in snowy climates that you're not looking at you know june july and then you're done august september it's nice Uh to know that you can extend that season to you know include more of the year and so that your effort and putting in all those garden beds and setting up trip lines and all the things that we do um don't necessarily have to end when school starts back up
1: absolutely not that's the beauty beautiful thing about our zone is we can grow so much throughout the year with row cover with some extension tools that um you know the year before i had fresh lettuce all the way through thanksgiving that i was eating fresh salad at thanksgiving the first week of december just by covering a couple beds and planting lettuce in the fall um, another really cool advantage of, you know, you know, changing your mindset from just cool season spring is that when you think about growing Brussels sprouts or kale or cabbage in the fall, you miss this big aphid season in the spring where all these aphids come out and they feed on your brassicas like your broccoli and your kale. When you, when you plant um, in mid-summer, you can sometimes miss that big bug wave and, um, you know, preserve your, uh, your vegetables a little bit more in the fall. That's a
0: pretty cool advantage. Yeah, absolutely. I know, uh, the bugs are, I mean, anywhere you live are, are a big thing, but, um, I've, the garden classes I've taken here, a lot of people, you know, talked about aphids or, yeah, squash bugs or different, um, You know issues that they had and um also had some interesting ways of combating that i believe uh it was in your class actually that you covered companion planting which is Mm -hmm. super cool um and so i know personally uh as i was chatting with you i had written down uh, nasturtiums and um, marigolds and some others that help to attract the bugs so that you know they leave your produce alone am i getting that right well, it's, it's, it's all kinds of things, really. When you're planting
1: flowers, specific flowers, you can be attracting beneficial predator insects that prey on some of those insects that feed on your plants, like aphids. So, for instance, sweet alyssum, that small white flower, if you plant that with your tomatoes or your brassicas, that's your broccoli and your kale, you can actually attract things like hoverfly and ticketed flies things that come in and actually hoverflies eat aphids so one hoverfly can eat up to 60 aphids a day and if you're attracting in hoverfly with hollissum you're attracting some balance into your ecosystem and so you're able to control the aphids naturally by just you know inviting that balance of predatory insects Tachitnid fly actually is one of the only predators of squash bugs that I just learned and we're gonna talk about in my class. So they, um, they basically are a parasite and they inject their eggs into squash bugs and basically kill the squash bug when their eggs hatch. And essentially they can, they're one of the only predators that can possibly control a squash bug population. And you bring those in because they feed on things like Queen Anne's lace, and coriopsis, these particular flowers, if you even have in and around your beds, you can attract this balance. So there's also marigolds that can repel pests in the soil. They repel nematodes. Onions can repel pests by their um, strong smell and what they have in the soil. So it's, it's interesting.
0: It can go both ways, attract the good things and repel the bad things. <laughs> yeah, which is super cool because I think I don't know if it's generationally or just what a lot of companies push, but so often you see pesticides. And I know that there's been a lot more awareness about that, that there are negative health effects that come from that. But it's really neat to see that there are natural ways of combating this that keep the good bugs. And I've heard it in other industries where you talk about like introducing a a chemical and it's like getting rid of the the bad things. But I, I think it was in a different garden class I had taken. They were talking about how like something like 90% of the bugs in our gardens are good. Right. And you don't want to kill all those. Um, so yeah, these ways that you're talking about by in introducing something uh, that not only adds beauty and character to your, to your garden. Um, I love the photos of your gardens where, yeah, you don't have to pick between vegetables and flowers you're able to have these really pretty flowers um, intertwined with your vegetable beds and they're just gorgeous so um, and beneficial which is great right I also like to think of
1: diversity begets diversity so what we plant in our soil um, begets diversity in our soil and then above our soil. So that's including bugs, plants, fungus, microbes. And so anytime you're planting more than one thing together, you're inviting a balance, an ecosystem in, rather than just one or two things and taking away things. Yeah, it's really a balanced viewpoint. You start to pan out in the garden rather than you know focusing just on aphids or focusing just on squash buds. Panning out really does make a difference in your strategies.
0: Switching gears a little bit, I know that you work full-time outside of what you do with Front Yard Fresh. How do you balance tending to your extensive garden, uh, well, and helping others, but, you know, you have a pretty extensive garden personally. How how do you manage all that? Do you have a, a set routine or schedule that you follow to make sure you're, you know, dotting your I's and crossing your T's when it comes to gardening? Oh, that's a really good question.
1: And I I have to say I have set up structures, but I'm also very much ADHD. I'm going to be real clear and uh, upfront about that. (laughs) So I have these structures in place, but I don't always follow them. But the, the reality is I set up a very specific foundation for my garden so that I could survive, so that it could be the most efficient thing that I could have another job and I have kids and I have lots of things going on. So I specifically set up the foundation that I did so that um, yeah, I could maintain. And the two things that are really important are raised beds because I have a huge front yard. I, I could have put it all in the ground, but I struggle with some really intense weeds, horsetail, very invasive weeds, crabgrass, you name it. Um, and so I put in raised beds specifically so that I could control weeding, and I have gravel now instead of grass, and that has kept the weeds down um, in my raised beds. It's also giving me uh, quality soil to work with, and so I didn't have to spend all this time amending my soil. Um, I started out with this fresh, clean slate, And so raised beds are a huge hack for people who want to garden, but want something efficient and want to save time. It's a big investment up front, but it really does save you a lot of headache in our modern world and trying to do gardening. And then the other thing that has saved me a lot of headache is automatic watering. So I have an automatic drip system for all my stuff out front, um, in my raised beds and um, in the perimeter. So everything is getting water, it's on a timer. So if we go camping, if I'm working, I can set it to go twice in a really hot day, knowing that at least it's getting consistent watering. That's one of the biggest uh, factors in failure is underwatering and over-watering. And then unless you have an automatic system, you can do either of those very easily, especially if you have a lot going on. So those are my two things that have saved me in terms of time and
0: success. We did the same thing with raised beds, probably because I'm a little bit <laughs> OCD, but I love the categorization that raised beds give you. For me, it's like that visual aid of, okay, I can group these things together and um, and also be able to work at different beds at different times. So I love that. And then we did a kind of do-it-yourself drip line install. I saw this uh, YouTube video from Garden Answer and we put those in and it was pretty cost effective. I understand why irrigation costs as much as it do. Really admire the people that do that hard work and um, do it all day because that was a a big project for my husband and I and I was very grateful for his help. (laughs) Um, I think he got into more than he realized when I was like, oh yeah, it won't be hard. We're just going to put these things together and... (laughs) A day and a half later we we had a drip line but um i am excited to have that ability to be able to to be away for the weekend and not panic that you know all the plants are drying out
1: exactly and here in our hot summers you you're very smart to do that because sometimes i do i have to go water twice a day um, when it's extremely hot over 100 for 10 days in a row and so to be able to have that on a timer rather than yeah. Being stressed in a way on vacation, wondering if it's going to all work out. It, It's definitely, oh, it's a huge hack for people if they want to be successful, but they can't be at their house 24 hours a day.
0: Right. And then I've also, I, I don't know if this is true or not, but on Instagram, I've seen um, that drip line uh, watering has benefits versus overhead watering. Yeah. It- um, what, why is that? Absolutely. So,
1: um, overhead watering, you know, but first of all, it's not very water efficient, especially in our high desert gardening. A lot of it evaporates um, mid air, and so you're not really utilizing uh, your water very well. But also, when you're watering overhead, you're watering your leaves and you risk um, more disease because the moisture isn't going into the roots where it's needed. It's soaking the plant, leaving it vulnerable to funguses and diseases. And it's not necessarily getting to the roots as efficiently as it could. So you're using more water for the same objective. Whereas drip, yeah, it drips slowly into the soil without getting any moisture on your leaves. So you risk you don't risk those diseases. And then um, obviously it's just more efficient for our high desert gardening because you can, a lot of those emitters only emit a certain amount per hour and you can control that with a timer and give the plant really what it needs rather than um, overwatering and yeah, risking having those diseases take out your plant anyway so uh, it's it's very important and it's definitely the the gold standard I would say for most garden coaches we what we install um is drip line
0: good well I'm happy to know that um yeah that that is helpful and yeah this will be our first year with it so I can't wait to see how it does
1: but with that with that being said with that being said I, I do just want to say like if you want a garden and Irrigation is out of the question. Hand watering is not a bad thing. So, without judgment, it's yes, it's harder, but I want to like encourage people to still be gardeners because hand watering requires your presence, and more presence in the garden also is a huge benefit to you learning and being there. So, it's not so much of a drop and go, you're really present and you're involved in the process. So, there's Benefits to both ways definitely Um, and using what you have your overhead sprinkler system if that's what it takes for you to get a garden please don't please don't um, you know delay gardening because you can't afford drip line I just want to throw that out there.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point, I swear. One of our best gardening seasons was when we were first starting out and we had our seedlings in pots that we found curbside or just really generic plastic containers and we were hand watering and it was one of our best produce years. We had more tomatoes and banana peppers than we knew what to do with. So you're absolutely right that you should start gardening regardless of where you are with your materials and just get started exactly well Katie thank you so much for taking time out of your day to come and talk to us here on the podcast and share your gardening knowledge with us you were a very fun first guest to have on the podcast
1: oh my gosh I'm your first guest I didn't know that thank you for
0: having me be your first guest <laughs> Of course. Yeah, they're normally, um, I just do the single track, but we had an extra bonus Monday. And so I was like, oh, we've got to do an interview. And um, I couldn't believe that you said yes. I remember when I started this podcast, I was like, wow, I wonder if Katie Matazza would come on. (laughs) So this is really cool. (laughs) Oh,
1: heck yeah. Yeah, I'm always happy to be on here anytime.
0: Awesome. Well, if you would share your contact information, um, on where listeners can find you and follow along with your gardening journey. And if they are in the Boise area and looking for some garden coaching where, where they can look for that.
1: Yes. So you can find me at www.yesfrontyardfresh.com. And you can find me at front Yard fresh on Instagram. Um, and you can sign up for garden coaching there or just reach out to me via email. And uh, you'll also see lots of um, tips and tricks on my Instagram uh, throughout the season to help you quickly um, incorporate something new into your garden.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Katie. Thank you so much, Brittany. I enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to this episode of Untraditionally Traditional. If you enjoyed the podcast, please share it with those special people who would love it too and write a review. For more tips and photos of my home and garden, Follow untraditionally traditional pod on Instagram. Until next week, let's continue to make our homes places of joy and service to ourselves and those we share them with.